All right, that leads us right into uh, what Paul is going to be writing about uh, this morning. Uh, and I want to remind you of something that uh, is uh, really important uh, in, in, um, in looking at, uh, at Scripture. And that is, uh, again, remember uh, that the verse and chapter marks, uh, they are not part of uh, the inspired Word of God. Uh, they weren't in the original manuscripts. They've been uh, inserted uh, as uh, uh, by man over time uh, so that when the preacher or teacher stands up and says, uh, this is what I want to read to you, uh, we can all find it together uh, relatively quickly. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, many times the chapter uh, and verse marks have... Um, Sometimes they lead uh, to confusion. We uh, almost treat, say, the fourth chapter here uh, as, a, uh, as another book or another story, when the reality is, again, uh, this entire letter to the Philippians would have been written uh, like any other letter you would receive. It, uh, it just, uh, this letter would have been received uh, by the church. <coughs> excuse me, uh, at Philippi, and they would have stood up in a church gathering uh, and read it from beginning uh, to end. And so all the fault uh, would have been uh, together. Uh, and so where uh, I have tried in, in going uh, through, this, uh, through this letter uh, as much as possible uh, to preach on and, and divide it by the, the natural paragraphs, uh, the reality is uh, the best way for us to have looked at this letter uh, would have been to say, everybody come to church next week about 7 o'clock, and we're just going to start, and we're going to go through the book of Philippians till we get to the end, uh, we'll be done by supper time. Uh, you know, that would have been, you know, to cover it all in one, uh, in one setting. And, and so as we come to this, uh, this section, uh, I remind you that everything that Paul has written uh, in the first three, uh, what we have as chapters, uh, have been really leading up now uh, to some of the things he's uh, going to say uh, here. Uh, and he's going to begin to really, uh, if you ask somebody what the theme of Philippians is, they'll tell you uh, it's about peace, it's about rejoicing. Uh, and everything he's been talking about is leading up uh, now to really kind of the fourth chapter is almost like a uh, conclusion uh, to what uh, he's been, uh, been talking about. And the fact of the matter is, as we read chapter 4, uh, if anybody ever uh, had a reason for worry, uh, it was Paul. Uh, as he was writing this letter, uh, he was writing back to the church at Philippi, a little church that obviously uh, Paul loved. Uh, I think it's safe to uh, make the case that, uh, that Paul actually, of all the churches Paul started, uh, that Philippi was his favorite. Uh, and he loved uh, the people at Philippi. And there were some, uh, some issues, some division uh, in uh, the church at Philippi, uh, and Paul had got the word back and heard about that, and he was uh, disturbed uh, by that. There were some, uh, and part of the concern about the church at Philippi, again, wasn't uh, not only the external persecution, uh, but the fact that inside of the church, uh, as we're going to see in the text today, uh, there were some some Christian friends uh, who were uh, who were 
uh, angry and arguing, uh, fighting uh, with each other. Uh, and he wasn't there uh, to help them. Uh, and so this bothered uh, Paul. Uh, we uh, have these two ladies who are there. Uh, along with that, uh, Paul had, uh, there was uh, division in the church at Rome uh, that uh, Paul was dealing with. We uh, see that earlier in uh, the book uh, in, in Philippians, in the first chapter, that there was uh, some division uh, in the church uh, at Rome. Uh, and, oh, by the way, not only that, uh, he was possibly facing uh, his own execution, just as a little uh, cherry on top uh, for all that. His churches uh, that he had been so involved with were uh, fighting and arguing, and, uh, and the executioner was outside of his cell uh, sharpening up his blade. So uh, other than that, Paul had it made. Uh, you know, other than that, Paul had uh, everything was going uh, well for him. And so uh, Paul had every reason in the world uh, to be worried, uh, to be upset, to be concerned, uh, but instead, uh, and, and again, I, I, I keep bringing that up, we've got to remember that when we read the book of Philippians, that that was Paul's, uh, that was the background uh, that Paul was coming from. Uh, but instead, we're going to see, uh, as we wrap up this, uh, this little letter, uh, that Paul uh, is emphasizing uh, peace. He's emphasizing and stressing uh, that the people uh, rejoice and, uh, and going to share with them uh, his, um, his secret, how he uh, was able to do that. And I think uh, this morning most of us uh, can probably identify uh, with Paul's uh, situation. Uh, as we go through our life, uh, we have... A lot of things, uh, like Paul, we may not have uh, churches we're responsible for that uh, are fighting. We may not be uh, imprisoned and uh, facing execution, but we have uh, other things that, uh, that do tug uh, at, our, uh, at our life. We have other things that pull us. We are uh, pulled and stretched in many directions. We have, uh, we have uh, loved ones that are sick. We have loved ones that have passed away. We have job concerns. We have repairs that need to be done on the house. The check engine lights on on the car. Uh, you know, uh, all those kinds of things that, uh, that take place uh, you know, in, in our life. We've, uh, you know, we've had a, a virus in our society for, uh, you know, for the last two years. We've got all these things that are, uh, that are pulling us, and, uh, and let's say I'm doing like this, but let's say this, that all those kinds of things in our life that are pulling us down. Uh, that are holding us back, that are hindering us, that are like weights around our neck. They're, uh, they're, they're choking. They're, they're like hands around uh, our throat. And all the while uh, that that's going on, uh, internally, uh, we not only have those things pulling us down and, 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 and hindering us and weighing us down, but we also, uh, like the people of Philippi, again, uh, these words were written 
to the church. These were written to the believer. And so, uh, like these believers, we have all these weights and things that are constantly uh, pulling on us. But we also have that internal knowledge. Uh, we have the Word of God. We have some crazy preacher standing up every Sunday. We have some crazy Sunday school teacher. We have, you know, all these devotional books telling us, smile. Yeah, uh, yeah, don't worry, be happy. Uh, and all the while we're thinking, man, you just don't know what I'm going through. Uh, you just don't know what I'm dealing with. And so that's a, a struggle that Paul had that uh, you and I, uh, I think in, in different ways, uh, can uh, identify with. Uh, I think probably uh, most people we come into contact with, uh, and I think it's important for us to remember this as we interact uh, with people. Most people go through their day, and they're walking this fine line uh, between tears and laughter. Uh, you know, uh, it just, you know, the slightest push and pff, you know, the waterworks start. I mean, somebody says the wrong thing or the right thing. I don't have, you know, they, they say something to them. Uh, you know, it's like I said before to you about getting ready to say a blessing in a restaurant and asking the waitress, I'm getting ready to pray. Is there anything I can pray with you about? And, pff, you know, they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're walking that, you know, a few minutes ago, they were laughing. Hey, how you doing? Can I take your order today? Good to see you. Glad to have you here. Here, yeah, and then you say, "Can I pray with you?" Yeah, and the waterworks start. A lot of us, a lot of folks around us, walk that line. They really do. Uh, and, and I think we're all aware of that. Uh, and there's probably some people here today this morning that's in that same boat. Yeah, just to, to push either way. Yeah, as Paul said, uh, excuse me, as Solomon said, uh, you know, there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. Uh, and I think most of us really walk uh, that fine line. I want you to look with me this morning. Uh, we're going to look in this text, and we're going to see what Paul says about how to have peace. Now, let's define peace uh, before we move on. Um, you know, we had a generation that walked around, uh, you know, several years back now, and, and you know, that was, their, uh, that was their motto, peace, you know, uh, and, and what they meant was basically uh, they wanted an end to war. Uh, they wanted uh, an end to fighting. Uh, the word that Paul uses here, when Paul says, uh, talks about peace, is not, uh, it includes that, but it includes uh, so much more. If you look in verse 7, uh, of this passage. Uh, Paul, we're going to jump ahead to the end here real quick, and, and Paul tells us here, he says, "...and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart." And so Paul is saying, "...and..." Notice that opening word, "...and the peace of God." Uh, what he's saying is if we will do the things uh, that he has just described in, verse, in the first six verses, he says, then uh, the peace of God uh, will come. Now, again, what's he mean uh, by, by peace when he says uh, that word? Again, uh, when we talk about peace in English, uh, generally we, you know, probably the most often we hear the word peace uh, is we hear Peace in the Middle East. That, that's probably the most common use of peace in English. You, know, you hear it almost every day on the news, peace in the Middle East. What, what do they mean by that? That uh, you know, uh, the Palestinians will quit throwing rocks at the Israelis who have machine guns. Uh, you know, that, that's generally uh, you know, what they mean. No more fighting, no more war uh, in that regard. We would, uh, you know, we would have uh, that kind of 
uh, of peace, no hostility, uh, no civil disturbances like some of the riots uh, we have seen uh, in the streets uh, in our nation, that those would go away. But the word peace uh, here is a lot, uh, lot bigger. The biblical idea uh, of peace is way larger, and it really goes back to, and it sits on, rests on a, uh, a Hebrew word that means to be complete. To be complete, uh, to, 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 uh, again, it, it is, uh, it's the idea of being complete or whole, um, and I, I'm going to uh, use a word here that's not necessarily part of the definition, uh, the, 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 the specific definition, but I think uh, it, it fits our English better. It's simply a word that means being satisfied. Being satisfied. Paul, even though he was in prison, even though he was facing the death sentence, even though the churches he had loved and poured so much of his life uh, into uh, and given for them a sacrifice for them, Paul was satisfied. He was complete in what God was doing in his life. He wasn't worried. He wasn't... Um, upset, he was complete, he was whole uh, in what God was doing and accomplishing in his life. Now, the question comes in, how in the world could he be that way? Yeah, uh, How in the world, forget about the churches, they're out there, they're debating whether or not to execute him. How in the world could Paul be that way? How in the world could he have that kind of uh, attitude? First of all, uh, Paul gives us, and, and if you're trying to follow along on your bulletin, uh, I went back and, and the outline's going to be a little bit different than what uh, you see on your bulletin. Uh, same general idea, just outline the passage a little bit different. First thing uh, we notice is here's Paul's passionate request. And, I, and what I mean by that is Paul is pleading and begging with those who hear his letter, those who would read this uh, letter, that they would hear his advice, hear his plea with them uh, in how to govern, how to live, so that they might experience this peace that he's talking about uh, in verse 7. First thing uh, that Paul says, look in verse 1, he says, My brothers that I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Again, I, I think that the church at Philippi, was probably uh, his favorite. He says, stand firm or stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. The first thing uh, that Paul talks about here uh, is he advises if we're going to experience that satisfied, complete, whole, peaceful life. Paul says that it is imperative that we are grounded in the faith, that we are solid uh, in uh, our walk uh, with the Lord, that we have uh, that, uh, the, that, uh, that, that, that 
dedication, that commitment. Uh, and this verse uh, is, again, the chapter and verse marks here uh, are, are unfortunate in many ways uh, because this verse is a transition uh, from what Paul uh, has just been uh, writing about. That God, uh, the glory and our citizenship in heaven. Again, that word, therefore. Uh, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you've got to know what it's there for. And he's just finished in the verse before uh, telling us that our citizenship is in heaven, uh, that we await the Lord Jesus, and He's going to transform our, our lowly body to His glorious body. Uh, and therefore, because of that, my brothers, He says, stand firm in the faith. Because our citizenship is in heaven, stand firm in the faith, he says. That we know the Word of God, that we are convinced, that we are convicted, uh, that we are solid, uh, that we are dedicated uh, in the Word of God. And, and why is that so important? I am uh, thoroughly, totally, 125% convinced that the reason that many Christians struggle under the pressures and all those things, those weights that drag us down, is because we are not fully aware and grounded in the promises and the hope of the Word of God. That's the problem. That, that's the, I think Paul. the reason Paul starts out here is because if we were aware, more aware, had a better understanding, were more convinced and convicted about the truth and the promises of the Word of God, then the threats and the dangers of this world wouldn't worry us as much. Why could Paul face that? Why could Paul, why could Paul write something like this with the executioner outside of his door? Because Paul later would write something like this, uh, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knew the Word of God. He understood the promises of the Word of God. Listen, what, what, is, what is undermining our, our walk with the Lord, what is undermining and eating away at the very foundation of the peace that God means for us to have. And He means for us to have it. In just uh, uh, a few more verses, we're going to look at a verse where, where God says, I want you to have peace, and peace that passes all understanding. Amen. That's what God desires for His people. Again, I remind you, this is written to the believer. And so Paul says, if we're going to live in that kind of peace, that kind of confidence, that kind of completeness, that kind of satisfaction, he said it is rooted in a knowledge of the Word of God. I'm going to use an example here, and I had to ask him permission. But one of the things over my uh, 20-some years of knowing uh, Tommy is you can't hardly bring up a topic or an issue with Tommy that he won't eventually bring out a verse of Scripture that goes along with or helps answer that issue. That knowledge, and if you know Tommy, Tommy's the nut that stands up and says, I got it better or easier. Which one is it? Easier. Nobody's got it 
Okay. Nobody's got it any easier than me. Now, I don't know if that's the truth or not, but I know why he believes it. Because he has an understanding and a knowledge of the promises of the Word of God. Am I putting words in your mouth somewhere? Is that correct? That we had that peace and completeness when we're able to stand firm in the Word of God. It's, you know, you ever got in an argument with somebody and you were 1,000% sure you were right? You will argue and fight till the death because you believe you're right only to find out you were wrong. Yeah. But that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying satisfaction comes when we stand firm. We don't stand firm in our own knowledge. We don't, he's not saying we stand firm in our own works, stand firm in our own anything. We stand firm in the truth of God. That's what brings peace. That's what lets saints of God lay on their deathbed and praise the Lord. That's what lets saints of God be on their deathbed and singing how great thou art. An amazing grace. Because they are at peace because they are standing firm in the promises of the Word of God. Folks, I don't see how folks face life, face death, without having a firm knowledge and grip on the truth and the promises of the Word of God. Paul says that's the foundational step of peace, is having a, a firm basis uh, on the Word of God. And Paul's reminded us, he's just told us, that there's enemies of the cross. There, there, there's people out there, he says, because we are citizens in heaven, uh, because the Lord is going to return and take us home. Therefore, stand firm. Therefore, stand firm. Listen, that, that, gives, that, that should bring the, the, a, a peace. You know, in a minute, Paul's again going to say, peace that passes all understanding. Where does that come from? That comes from a knowledge that my citizenship isn't here. That comes from a knowledge that, he, as he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and where I am that you may, may be also. If I go to prepare a place, I'll come and take you there. That brings peace, folks being firm, being grounded in the Word of God. Not just being grounded, but Paul says for us to be graceful. Look what he says in this next verse. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syncate to agree in the Lord. I also ask you, true companion, help those women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul, can you, and let me, I can't, I can't take, deal with this text without kind of throwing this little picture in for you. Again, as I said a moment ago, when this letter arrived from Paul to the church at Philippi, 
they would have had a big meeting. They would have sent out a word to all the members of the church. Got a letter from Paul. We're going to read it at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Y'all come. And yes, the people in Philippi said, y'all. I'm convinced of it. Yeah. Y'all come. And so they gather all together. And they read everything we've read up to this point over the last few weeks. The first three chapters. And then it gets down to this point. And he says, I entreat Euodia and Syncate to grow up and stop fighting. Click. You could have heard a pin drop in that church. Can you imagine the look on those two ladies' face when they got called out in front? See, here's the reality. You know this. Everybody in church knew they was mad at each other. Everybody there knew they were fighting. They all knew it. Everybody, they've been talking about it. They've been burning up the phone lines, email, text, all of They've been talking about it. And then Paul just comes out, and he moves real quick from preaching to meddling. He says, you two, straighten up. I'd give any that's that's one of those Kodak moments. Click <laughs> to see the look on their face. But what is the lesson Paul is telling us? Paul says if we want peace, we gotta make it. It's why we're called in the Bible to be peacemakers. Peace makers. Peace is not something that just magically appears. Peace is not something even among Christians. And again, these were evidently two ladies who were not just church members. They were good Christians. Paul calls them and speaks of them as uh, fellow laborers, true companions. Paul says these are two women who love God who are serving God. But whatever had happened, one of them had said something about the other one's shoes or the purse didn't match or you know their new haircut or something silly, and they had, had a falling out. And Paul says, stop it. Stop it. Not only does he said, tell them to stop it, but look what he does. He goes on and he says to them, he says, um, I ask you, my true companion. We don't know who Paul was talking to. We don't know his fellow laborer. We don't know who, who Paul was talking to there. But somebody in the church, Paul called them out. He called, he called Euodia and Syncate out and said, you two stop fighting. But then he said to the true companion, you help them. You help them. They've labored side by side with me and with Clement and our other fellow workers, and their names are in the book of life. Here's what he's saying. He says, if we want peace, we have to work for it. Again, the Bible uses the phrase peacemaker. That phrase says it all. You have to make peace. What's he saying? He says to these two ladies, 
You two stop it. You're causing grief and division in the church. Fix it. And then he does something that is really challenging. He says, and my fellow laborer, whoever that is. A lot of speculation on who Paul was actually writing to. My fellow laborer, if those two can't fix it, you go help them fix it. Be a peacemaker. Do you know what most of us do when we see division or antagonism in the church between a couple of people? I knew there was something back there. We back up and get as far away from it as we can. When we're called on to be peacemakers. Any of you ever been in a church setting where there were a couple people who were mad at each other? You might not be in the mad. You might not be one of the people, but did it affect you? Cause trouble in the whole body. Paul says if we want to be complete, if we want to be satisfied, if we want to do away with worry, he says we've got to do away, get rid of strife. You are responsible for your own strife, but if you don't do it, the others, the leaders in the church, the elders are responsible to help. Let's face it. The Bible says again, calls on us to be peacemakers. If we are called on to be peacemakers, that also in my mind logically says we can be peace breakers. We're either making peace or we're breaking the peace. Paul says it is the responsibility of believers to make peace. To make peace with each other. That's our responsibility. Our job. So the first thing we have is to be grounded. Second of all, to be graceful to each other. Third thing that he tells us in verse 4 is to be glad. To be glad. Look what he says. He says in verse 4, he says we are to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. Listen, again, Here's something that strikes me about these words that Paul is saying. Be a peacemaker. Rejoice. He's saying it's a decision we make to be glad. To be joyful. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice. To be glad. You know, I've decided... In my lifetime, in my experience, and some of you are older than me, you might have a different experience, but um, in, in, my, in my life, in my ministry, I've decided that some people, the only thing that makes them glad is being mad. That's sure what it seems like anyway. That they're not happy if they don't have something to gripe about. 
I heard about the man who dreamed he went to heaven and got to heaven, and right outside, right on the pearly gates, was a big box nailed to the gate. It said, Complaint Box. And he looked at it and he said to Peter, he says, I thought in heaven everything was going to be perfect. Nobody would complain. He said, yeah, but some people won't be happy if they can't complain. Yeah, listen, I, I, I'm convinced of that. That seems to be the decision some people have made. They look constantly, they walk around looking like they've been sucking on a lemon. Yeah, they are, you know, just that, that, that they're not happy if they're not sad. You know, it's almost like that's their goal in life. It's to be sad and take as many people with them as possible. Paul says, no. If we want to be peaceful, if we want to be complete, he says we choose to be happy. This is the third time in this letter that Paul has encouraged and told us to choose to be glad. To choose to rejoice. To make that decision. And it is a decision. Because anywhere we look, so I, I read a thing, there was a little thing in Reader's Digest one time, said the beauty of owning your own home is anywhere you sit and anywhere you look, you can see something that needs to be fixed. Yeah, that, that's pretty, I've decided that's pretty much true. Yeah, you can always see something that needs to be done. Well, pretty much anywhere you sit, anywhere you look, you can see something to gripe about, something to complain about. And you can choose to look at that, and you can choose to be miserable and make everybody around you miserable, or you can choose to focus on the grace and the goodness and the mercy and the blessings of God. It's up to you. Nobody can decide for you. Nobody can make you happy. Nobody can make you sad. Hear me. Nobody can make you say, we choose our emotions. We choose how we're going to respond. We choose how we are to react. The person is to, listen, hear the redundancy there. Rejoice always and then do it again. Rejoice always and again I say rejoice. Rejoice on top of your rejoicing. Listen, it's a decision we make that we're going to do again. And I want to, i got to stress it again. Paul was in prison. The church was in division. And Paul still says, rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad. Next thing Paul says is be gentle. Look in this next verse in verse 5. Let your reasonableness or your moderation be known to everyone. The word, actually, moderation is really difficult. The Greek word is really difficult to, to translate. Probably, and, and I've used it here in, in this outline, probably the, um, probably the most accurate way that you and I would say it today is be gentle. Um, it's not perfect translation, but for, again, the way we talk and the way we use English today is probably the most um, accurate way. William Tyndall translated it this way. He said, let your softness be known. Let your gentleness be known. It's really a, a, a difficult word. Forbearance, um, reasonableness. 
Um, again, it's, it's really a, a, a hard word. Agreeableness is another way uh, that the word could be translated. But I think gentle uh, pretty much um, sums it up. Again, the King James says uh, moderation. Some of the modern translations say reasonableness, or uh, some actually do say uh, gentleness. The best biblical example I can give you of this word, let's do it that way. Rather than me try to define it, let me illustrate it. The best biblical example I can give you of what this means is you remember the story of Abraham? <clears throat> you remember how when Abraham and Lot and their servants couldn't get along and they were fighting, and Abraham called Lot out and said, I tell you what, better that we separate than fight. And I'm paraphrasing uh, uh, several chapters of Scripture. Better we separate than fight. So I tell you what. Look around. You pick which direction you want to go, and I'll pick, and I'll go the other way. Now, when you read that, never forget Abraham was the senior. Abraham was the most powerful. Abraham was the richest. Abraham, in today's words, had seniority. Abraham was well within his rights to say, listen, we can't get along. I'm going that way. You go that way. But no, he comes to Lot and he says, you pick. Whichever way you want, you go. Lot looks around. This area looks terrible. This side looks green. The Bible says that it was good for, Lot saw that it was good for cattle. And so Lot looks over here. He sees the grass. He sees the water. He sees the good area. And he says, I want that. You can take that barren area over there. And Abraham looks at him and says, okay, fine. That is the best biblical example I know of, of reasonableness, of gentleness, of moderation. Abraham laid aside his rights, his authority, and allowed his nephew to take advantage of him. And he agreed to it. That is how to have peace. That is how to be complete. He yielded, he surrendered, and he allowed Lot to have his way. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's what Paul means. The next thing that he talks about in this verse, and this is, I, I, I know some of you, you're going to see this word and you're going to say, Jimmy, that's not a word you use. You're right. It's not. But as I was looking at the definition of it, I thought, that's the word I want to use to describe what Paul is talking about here. Don't be anxious about anything. Be galant. Not a word I've probably ever used in my life. Not one I plan on using tomorrow. I might. I like it. It's a good word. Listen, the Lord is at hand. Let me tell you why I like that word. Because I looked up the definition of it, and here it is. Brave, spirited, noble-minded. Brave, spirited, or noble-minded. That's what the believer is called to be. Don't be anxious. Be brave. I mentioned Tommy and his quoting of Scripture. 
I really like it except one time. Well, he's got me on this several times. I've about learned not. I, 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 I'll make I, I, on several different occasions. I've made some statement like, "I'm afraid it's going to rain tomorrow," or "I'm afraid it's going to snow tomorrow." So, oh, don't be afraid. The Bible tells us not to have the spirit of fear. Makes me want to throw a hymnal at him. You know, <laughs> you know this. We're not to be afraid. We're to be brave. The Spirit of God is in us. Why could Paul face execution? Why could Paul in this setting write and tell people to rejoice? And again, I say rejoice. Because he was brave. Listen, it's, not, uh, it's the idea, again, that a believer isn't to, to worry about these things. It's, uh, it means, the, the word there literally means not even one thing. We're not to worry. Vance Havner, a great mountain preacher from here in North Carolina, some of you have probably heard this saying before, he said, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Paul says we're to be anxious for nothing. We're not to worry. Listen, he and the Philippians had every reason to be anxious. But Paul says, don't worry. God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. Finally, Paul says, be guided. Look in verse, the end of verse 6. Don't be anxious about everything. Why? Because in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. What's the cure? How do we overcome anxiety? How do we do that? He says, by, by prayer. Look at these four words real quick that he uses. The word prayer talks about special times that we're alone with God of devotion and, and worship, supplication, uh, or prayers that focus uh, on special needs and, uh, and requests uh, that uh, we need. Thanksgiving, obvious uh, what that word means. And then the word request, again, specific and definite request. That's how Paul says pray. He says that kind of praying brings an end to worry. And then finally, look at this last statement that Paul's going to make. You see then the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice two important words in this passage. First word of the first verse, therefore. Why, therefore? Because you're a citizen of heaven. Because God hears your prayers. Because God's on the throne. Therefore, do these things that he just lists. And, first verse, first word of the seventh verse. And connects it to what he's just said. For the peace of God to surpass our understanding. To guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. He says, when you do these things, then the peace of God overflows. The peace of God controls and overwhelms your life. Listen, again, peace means to be, the word peace, another meaning, I talked a while ago, another meaning of that word peace is to be bound or woven or joined together. And here he says that that peace binds us and weaves us together with Jesus Christ. 
folks, I, I don't need to tell you, we all live in, to use the old word, perilous times. We live in strange times. We live in what can be scary times. We live in unprecedented times. Most of us, again, as I said a moment ago, we're walking on a fine line. And we're just a push in either direction from squalling like a baby or laughing like a madman. I think I've probably seen more people cry in the last year than I have in my whole life. People are hurting. People are broken. People are lonely. People are scared. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One is let me encourage us as a church, let me encourage us as believers to remember that. To remember that as we interact and we go out into public. Larry mentioned a while ago about being out front and talking to people. He doesn't tell us people's business, and I'm not going to ask him to. But I guarantee you if he does... He'll tell you in the last year, year and a half, he's seen more, heard more horror stories, more broken people pull through this parking lot and ask him to pray than ever before. People are hurting. Let's us be peacemakers. Let's us help. Let's us try to not make the situation worse. Be nice. Be a peacemaker. When you go to the store, when you interact with people, let's be peacemakers. Let's be peacemakers. Remind you, again, I heard, it's been back when all this mess first started, lady in a grocery store, just crawling all over, and I forgot now exactly what it was about. Oh, it was because people weren't following the one-way signs on the grocery aisles. And there's a little boy back there, teenage boy, 16, 17 years old, I don't know, stocking pickles or something. And this little lady stopped and just crawled all over him because people wasn't following the one-way signs. And he stood there just as nicely and listened to it, and he says, ma'am, I don't know. I just work here, and I just put up the groceries. <laughs> I had to... I'm sorry, just playing out a good example of being a peacemaker. I met her on the next aisle going the wrong way. And I said, you know, wasn't you just the lady over there fussing at that boy? <laughs> Let's remember, our cashiers, our waitresses, they're just trying to make a living. Let's be nice. Let's be peacemakers. Let's be peacemakers. Let's be peacemakers in our family. 
Let's be peacemakers in our church. Paul says, my true companion, these two ladies, you help them. You help them. Help them have peace. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And can I ask you a question? Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? And if the answer to that question is no, let me just share something with you. If you're not a peacemaker, then you are a peacebreaker. You may not be actively involved in stirring up trouble, but if you're not doing anything to help bring peace... We're commanded to be peacemakers. And we do it through this process that Paul just described. I want to invite you this morning to, to come and kneel, kneel where you are, and say, Lord, help me be a peacemaker in my home, in my family, in my work, in the marketplace, wherever I go that I help bring completion, satisfaction, peace by my testimony, by my life. You're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's a reason you don't know peace. And that's because you don't know Christ. You're joining us online. You don't know Him personally. You'll never know peace until you know Jesus. If you don't know him as your savior, would you come this morning? If you're online, would you call, email, reach out in some way so we can talk to you? I'd love to show you how you can have peace, how you can know Jesus Christ. Last Friday, I got affiliated with an organization. Not you don't need all necessarily all the details, but. They're doing all kinds of advertising online, television, billboards, and giving people an opportunity to go online and send in a prayer request. And within 30 minutes of getting, getting, our, uh, getting set up, I'd already received my first person who wanted to pray. because of trouble, let's just leave it vague, trouble that they were dealing with. By Monday, just out of this zip code, just from the area around our church, I'd already received 12. People are hurting. People are lonely. Let's be peacemakers. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, you called us, challenged us to be peacemakers. God, it begins with peace in ourselves, in our own heart.
God, we'd let aside worry. We'd begin to rejoice. We'd pray. We'd stand firm. And then we'd be able to take that peace and share it with others. God, this morning I pray that you touch hearts here today. God, there are people in this room, there are people online who are lonely, who are hurting, who need peace. God, I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would speak to them. God, help them begin that journey towards peace, towards being complete, towards being satisfied. God, so that then we can share it with others. God, I pray if there's one that's listening today that doesn't know Christ personally, doesn't have that eternal peace, of knowing their destiny, knowing their, that they've been saved by the grace of God. God, today you'd stir their heart, and today would be the day that they'd come to know Him. And we'll give you the honor for it all, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand together.